0: And welcome back to The Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I want to talk about something that has become increasingly clear over the past week and a half. I'm sure everybody listening is aware of what's going on in Israel and the Gaza Strip, and then consequently all around the West, because what we have fundamentally seen is a whole bunch of people who are now willing not just to tell us who they are, which is in many cases deeply anti-Semitic people, but what their language means, and this is really what I want to focus on. This podcast is not going to be about a whole series of relevant debates going on right now. I don't want to talk about what the best solution to the crisis in Israel and the Gaza Strip might be. I don't want to talk about the viability of Palestinian statehood after the terrorist atrocities of Hamas. Uh, I don't want to get into a huge debate about the ethics of the IDF and settlements in East Jerusalem, because that's not the point really that I want to make, and I think especially for those of us who live in the West it's not the most important point to identify because those are solutions those are problems that are going to be worked out by the major players and this is not a podcast primarily about geopolitics I want to mention something else that is not going to be the subject of this podcast but I do think is worth mentioning is we are seeing just as we saw in the post 9/11 period the extent to which many many people who have immigrated to the west the West needs massive amounts of immigration due to the fact Fact that our birth rates have almost entirely collapsed. Canadian birth rates are collapsing even further year over year, making it necessary to import immigrants if we want to support the labor force that props up our welfare state. That has always had implications for what multiculturalism might look like, and people are getting a pretty good look at one manifestation of multiculturalism in Canada, which is the fact that there are major protests, um, I should say celebratory demonstrations, that are actively celebrating what's going on in Israel right now. We have protests in which horrifying things are, are being said. There was chants of gas the Jews by protesters in Australia. These protests are still ongoing in many different countries and on many prestigious university campuses, mostly with the consent of the faculty. And so I don't really need to get into all of those details. It's just worth mentioning that that's the context for the discussion that I want to have. What I really want to talk about, though, is the language that progressives have been using over the past, uh, well, I think that this language has become mainstream, especially just in the last few years. It's always been there percolating through various academic departments in the Ivy League. But what we've had the opportunity, unfortunately, to see over the last week and a half is just what the terminology being used means. And I want to start with the term decolonization. And again, the reason I think this is so relevant to Americans and Canadians is because decolonization is a term that is now very frequently used. Here in Canada, it's a very common term uh, used by academics. It's a term that's been featured in many of our debates over the residential schools, which, for the record, I find to be appalling, and I've I've written about that many times. Um, A lot of the terminology that has been used by progressive academics has never been clearly defined, and we are always told that what these terms actually mean um, are just sort of grappling with the guilt of, of our collective Western civilization, uh, grappling with the atrocities that were perpetrated against indigenous peoples and other groups. And one of, one of the things that never got discussed is, well, what does decolonization mean? Because these terms are essentially used to sign off on whatever policy agenda progressives happen to be pushing. We now know in very, very crystal clear terms what a lot of these words actually mean to those who are using them. And I think that this has uh, real implications for our discourse, because I now think that we should reject many of these terms out of hand. These are not benign terms. These are terms that are used to justify bloodshed. Let's take the term decolonization first, and then I want to look at a couple of others that are very relevant, especially in the context of all of those churches that were burned down after the fake story about uh, graves in Kamloops came out outside a former residential school. And so just to kind of summarize for all of you, on October 7, the Hamas terrorists, who are currently in control of the Gaza Strip, may not be by the time uh, this podcast airs, uh, launched an operation through the border into Israel with hundreds of gunmen on trucks, motorcycles, paragliders. I don't think uh, anybody is unaware of what they did when they crossed into Israel. Uh, They mowed down people at a peace music festival, uh, murdered up to 250 of them. They did horrifying things to men, women, and children. Um, The examples of torture are too graphic to actually articulate. They kidnapped many people. Uh, Most estimates indicate that there's roughly 100 Israelis currently captive in the Gaza Strip, if they're still alive. That includes children under the age of three. They raped women next to the corpses of their friends. They kidnapped women to take back to the Gaza Strip, apparently, um, to abuse them even further. That is the context for what academics were defending. Um, These videos have been reaching unprecedented millions of people, and so it's impossible for anybody— to be unaware of what they are defending when they use these terms. And so, this is essential context when considering the response of many leftist journalists and academics to these hor- horrors. Like, the last several days for me have been incredibly clarifying. And those of you who read my blog regularly will know that I've always been opposed to groups that I consider to be exploiters of suffering in order to push a Marxist agenda. So, Black Lives Matter, um, for example, exploits genuine tragedy, uh, exploits genuine genuine. genuine historical injustice in order to make the case that the nuclear family must be destroyed. They have an explicitly Marxist agenda. We know a lot of the leaders of of, of Black Lives Matter are actually grifters who just took all that money that was being given for the improvement of the inner city and and, and was supposed to benefit African-Americans and used it to buy themselves mansions. And so I've always been very suspicious of these groups. um, And I've written that and said it many, many times. I'll admit, though, that I even am kind of stunned and horrified by what these people are willing to defend. When you see a video footage of women being kidnapped by Hamas terrorists and they have bloodstained pants, which is almost certainly from their sexual abuse, we have confirmation of much sexual abuse. The images and the videos are almost impossible to handle, and I've been trying to avoid seeing more of them. I never thought that in the post Too era, where sexual assault I think is rightfully considered one of the most horrifying things a human being can perpetrate on another, that even that, even like the use of rape as a weapon of war by terrorists would be defended by these academics. So just, I'm just going to give you a couple of examples because I think these are important examples to look at. There was a freelance writer Najma Sharif wrote on X, formerly known as Twitter, what did you all think decolonization meant? Vibes? Papers? Essays? Losers? Yeah, so we're, we're losers, apparently, for being horrified by the crimes and the atrocities perpetrated against civilians. These are people in the West, by the way. This is It's important to understand the people who are staffing our universities, the people who are informing all the diversity, equity, and inclusion seminars that most people in our government, uh, our federal government, are put through, that uh, most people at the U.S. federal government have to go through. These are the people who are training Training our politicians, and because they're academics, our children, on how to think about these issues. That is why this is so significant. Let me give you a couple of other examples. Uh, Rivka Brown of Novara Media responded to all the atrocities that were unfolding, sometimes live on on X. Today should be a day of celebration for supporters of democracy and human rights worldwide. As Gazans break out of their open-air prison and Hamas fighters cross into the colonizer's territory, the struggle for freedom is rarely bloodless, and we shouldn't apologize for it. Again, I'm not even going to get into the details of whether Gaza is, in fact, an open-air prison. Uh, We don't need to discuss the fact that Egypt's border remains closed, and it remains closed because they believe that Palestinians that would flood across their border are, in many cases, a threat to them. But – Consider what she's defending. The context here is not just another anodyne tweet from an academic defending um, Palestinian aspirations for statehood. That's an entirely different discussion, and there's a real discussion to be had there. It's a very nuanced issue. I have my own views, which I don't think are important to express in this context, but that's not what she was defending. This was a direct response to atrocity videos. Uh, Sarah Shahid, who freelances for Now Toronto and Spring Magazine, said, What a glorious Saturday. From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Uh, From the river to the sea, of course, uh, um, indicates the desire to completely wipe the Jews off the map in the Middle East. Nearly 30 Harvard student associations, including the Harvard Islamic Society, the Harvard Kennedy School Muslim Caucus, the Society for Arab Students, released a public statement declaring that they collectively, quote, hold the Israeli regime entirely responsible for the unfolding violence. That would include, of course, the violence perpetrated against Israeli civilians, women and children. Dr. Jessica Hutchinson, an assistant professor of social work at Wilfrid Laurier University in Waterloo, Ontario, near where I live, said, I hope your upcoming acknowledgments will include support for Palestinians who are taking their land back from the settler colonizers settler colonizers is another important term that we're going to get to in a minute. But but keep in mind here, um, what these terms are being used. Land acknowledgements are pretty much standard in academic um, circles. And what a land acknowledgement is, um, I heard these all the time at SFU and UBC, is a professor or a lecturer will open up um, their, their lecture or their event by first acknowledging that they live on unceded territory uh, for this or that indigenous group. Um, I know that none of these people seem interested in giving the land back. So it's kind of wildly and insulting in many ways to indigenous people to give these land acknowledgements. Um, We are currently on unceded territory of of, of Group X. We will not be giving the land back to Group X, but we're just, you know, acknowledging the fact that it's stolen. Uh, The whole thing is performative and ridiculous. Um, And that used to be my view just a couple of weeks ago, that most of the stuff was just Uh, You know, the woke virus. This is just performative, ridiculous, I think insulting to Indigenous people. But I didn't realize just how dangerous it was because I think even I underestimated what the left is willing to defend. Let me give you more examples. I'm probably butchering his name, but I'll just... uh, um, Dr. Mayle, an assistant professor of Indigenous politics in the Department of Political uh, Science at the University of Toronto said this, as Hawaiians wake up to the news of Palestinian anti-colonial resistance in Gaza to the Israeli settler colonialism. Remember that word again, settler remember that from hawaii to palestine occupation is a crime aluhai stands for that's a, a hawaiian word stands for decolonization and deoccupation and should also stand behind freedom for palestine i think it i think uh, all these All these uh, mentions of occupation, it's important to mention here that Israel has not had anybody in the Gaza Strip since 2005 and forcibly removed Israeli settlers from that area in order to turn it over to the Palestinians. Uh, UC Chancellor's Postdoctoral Fellowship in Latin American and Latino Studies at UC Santa Cruz, uh, Cynthia Martinez, said, academics in the area of border studies. You cannot teach about displacement, dispossession, suffering, resistance, decolonization, and abolition without Palestine. You can't be for abolish ICE, anti-border violence, or anti-carceral without supporting freedom for the Palestinians. And apparently, freedom for the Palestinians means again justifying atrocities against civilians. We're gonna. I'll, I'll be getting. I'll be getting to why this is so significant in the language in just a moment. A member of Scottish Parliament, Maggie Chapman, approvingly retweeted Sana Nazar, who stated, "The oppressed are fighting back for their rights. Don't let Western media fool you into thinking it's ter- terrorism. This is decolonization." Um, The Western media has not done a great job covering this conflict, actually. Um, The videos I saw were all being streamed to Twitter, uh, X, pardon me, and most of these videos were posted by Hamas themselves. Um, And so apparently, who are we going to believe here, Nazar or lying eyes? Uh, Another uh, uh, faculty member at the London School of Economics and Columbia University said... Academics like to decolonize through discourse and land acknowledgements. Time to understand that decolonization is not a metaphor. Decolonization means resistance of the oppressed and includes armed struggle to literally get our lands and our lives back. This is an incredibly clarifying statement here. So when we hear uh, land acknowledgements, which we hear all the time in Canada, when we hear the term decolonization— What does it actually mean? Well, we have professors from the most prestigious Canadian universities now saying uh, that the process of decolonization can absolutely include the murder of civilians, the rape of women and children, the abduction of entire families, the destruction of entire families. They are telling us what they mean when they use these words. And these words are incredibly common. For those of you who have had the good fortune to stay out of academic circles in this country, this language is common. My my uh, minor in my history degree at Simon Fraser University was in Middle Eastern studies, and decolonization is a very, very common term. Again, land acknowledgements, I heard them all the time, and I thought this was sort of woke virus nonsense. This is far more serious um, than, than I thought it was. And that's on me. I research a lot of these groups. I write about a lot of these groups. Um, again, I've, I've focused on the fact that a lot of these groups have sort of Marxist underpinnings and, and support an agenda that I find fundamentally antithetical to all of my values and the va- foundational values of Western civilization. But even I am shocked by how far these people are willing to go. Let me give you more. Dr. Nick Reamer, a senior lecturer in the Department of English at the University of Sydney, said this. No progressive should feel the need to publicly condemn any choices by the Palestinian resistance. Doing so just adds to the perception that their cause is unjust. Condemnation is the speech act you perform when breaking contact off with someone when not when standing in solidarity. So what does decolonization mean? Uh, it means that you stand with people who are perpetrating these acts. In this case, it would be the Palestinians um, perpetrating these things against Israeli civilians, but these terms can be used in any context. And are. And so when we hear the term decolonization, we should realize what they mean and how far they're willing to go and ask ourselves what it means that the academic class, that the professional class, and that most of the elite progressive politicians in this country use this language. Most of them would not defend this. Outwardly, although a few have. I just mentioned that Scottish MP. Um, There's plenty of uh, both sides-ism going on from Liberal members of Parliament, uh, from um, provincial NDP members here in Ontario, and of course from the infamous squad in the United States. But this is what they mean. Uh, Let me give you more. Manolo de los Santos, pardon me, the co-executive director of the People's Forum and a researcher at the Institute for Social Research in New York, said the people have broken out. The heroic resistance of the Palestinian people is an example. To all revolutionary movements. QP Local 3906, the faculty union at McMaster University, which is one of Canada's most prestigious, says Palestine is rising. Long live the resistance. Uh, you know, as Ben Sixsmith, who writes for The Critic, observed, if nothing else, it's worth documenting the people rationalizing or even outright celebrating the deliberate murder of innocents for the next time they try to have you kicked out of your job for a misplaced pronoun. And isn't that the truth? Right? Keep in mind that these people's revolutionary ideologies mean that there's the oppressed and there's the oppressor. If you're one of those accused of being a settler, which if you're somebody who isn't indigenous, you will have been accused of being a settler at some point. I certainly have, even in conversations on. Online, um, when they talk about your white privilege, they are portraying you as the oppressor. And what can you do to the oppressor? As we've seen over the last week and a half, uh, even having your wife raped and your children kidnapped or murdered by these people. Um, If you're a settler, it doesn't matter. If we call those atrocities decolonization, um, not only is it defensible, but people will publicly defend it. And there's just been this bizarre, bizarre defense of the Hamas regime, Uh, for example, by a lot of LGBT activists, which is just unbelievably strange. You've got queers for Palestine showing up at these um, anti-Israel protests in places like New York, which is one wag noted as kind of like chickens for Kentucky fried chicken, right? This is, this, this is literally, you know, uh, like a, a demonstration by poultry in defense of Colonel Sanders because there are no pride parades in the Gaza Strip. They get chucked off buildings. In the Gaza Strip, people uh, who identify as LGBT in the Islamic world are often murdered, are often imprisoned. Um, And so the idea that the revolutionary virus has infected their brains so thoroughly that they would rather defend terrorists perpetrating atrocities uh, than simply admit that there are some regimes that are very, very wicked. There are some regimes that do horrible things. Nope, all of this can be justified in the name of decolonization. Even if um, you showed up in that place, the very people you're celebrating would probably murder you. Uh, Dr. Emil Joseph, uh, who is an associate professor of, of course, social work at McMaster University, and who very sensitively includes his pronouns in his ex-bio, tweeted, post-colonial, anti-colonial, and decolonial are not just words you heard in your EDI workshop. And I could give you dozens of other examples that have been unfolding. I'm going to give you another example in particular shortly here. But now we've, we've been told in explicit terms what decolonization is really all about. We know what leftists mean when they say it. We know they will defend raping women, butchering children, abducting Holocaust survivors under the guise of liberation. The alleged intellectuals calling people settlers and using land acknowledgments and demanding that our leaders use their rhetoric, their Marxist framework for how we discuss issues – aren't just cosplaying as revolutionaries. And this is incredibly important to understand. When push comes to shove and sobbing teenage girls are abducted and shot to pieces, they'll cosign. Uh, Tristan Hopper of Canada's National Post has has been melting down on Twitter over the past week, and he's had a lot of really, I think, profound things to say about the state of Canada's academia and the state of Canada's progressive elite. And one of the things he said is worth quoting. He said, what's happening here is a tell. If a university or a union can endorse or excuse the mass slaughter of revelers at a music festival, how can you possibly trust them on any other issue? And then you realize how many other issues we trusted them on. He also more uh, ominously mentioned that watching what's unfolding now helps him understand how the Rwandans turned on each other, how people who knew each other and were neighbors could turn on each other and kill each other. Because when you look at the intellectuals, the academics, the people who are forming the minds of the next generation, defending the sorts of things that we've, we've been seeing on social media over the last week and a half, when you realize that there's no child who is innocent, no woman who is innocent in their eyes, um, because decolonization must go forward, What does that say about what they think of us? What do they mean when they call us settlers? Because I want to quote another tweet, and this is from an American studies professor at Yale University. I'm not nut-picking here. I'm not picking the most extreme examples, which I could do from my mentions on X. Um, Zarina Grewal um, from Yale tweeted to defend the tactics of Hamas, basically saying that they were not civilians. She said this, Settlers are not civilians. This is not hard. That was in response to a Sky Journalist tweet insisting that civilians are civilians are civilians, it doesn't matter where. But to her, settlers are not civilians. Think about that for a minute. Have you ever been called a settler? Unless you're an indigenous person in Canada, you are certainly considered to be a settler by these academics. Now, what does that mean? Essentially, it means you're a class like the Kulak's. Essentially, it means that you can be wiped out. Essentially, it means the people that we are watching right now defend what is going on in Israel would defend any form of violence against you as well. Now, I know, I know that a bunch of people are going to come back and say, come on, these people don't actually mean that. And I would agree that there are many people who use this rhetoric, which has, you know, been gifted to us by the Ivory Tower and now shapes our discourse on virtually all racial issues. I agree that most of them don't mean that, but the people who are teaching this stuff at Yale, at the University of Toronto, at Wilfrid Laurier University, at McMaster University, they are willing to defend atrocities against civilians in other countries because those civilians are, in their worldview, settlers. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, let's, let's use a Canadian example for a minute, and I think it's it actually helps put some of this in context. And so as of July 4, 2023, 83 Christian churches in Canada have been vandalized, burned down, or desecrated since the announcement of the apparent discovery of graves found near a residential school in Kamloops, B.C. Now, I don't want to get, again, into the details of all that story because to some extent it's a distraction, right, whether or not they actually found Children buried in these graves in Kamloops doesn't have a bearing on the fact that the residential school system um, was, in my view, a wicked system. It was a state-perpetrated family breakup in many cases. Um, Some people joined residential schools for good reasons, some for very bad reasons. It's a very nuanced and complex issue. However, the response to this story, the the apparent discovery of graves, um, is how uh, True North News puts it resulted in a sort of massive spate of violence. Again, 83 Christian churches vandalized, burned down, or desecrated. And... Many of these churches were actually on indigenous land, so let me give you uh, let me give you some examples of some churches that were were either arsoned or burned. Saint A- Paul's Anglican Church at the uh, Giwangak First Nation in BC, Saint Columbia Church in Tofino BC, Saint Anne's Catholic Church in Princeton BC, the Chopaca Catholic Church in Chopaca BC, Sacred Heart Mission Church in P- in Penticton, uh, Saint Gregory Mission Church in Asoyas. Grace Lutheran Church in Kelowna, Our Lady of Peace in Peace River Alberta, House of Prayer. Alliance Church in Calgary, Siksika First Nation Catholic Church in Siksika, Alberta, St. Jean-Baptiste Parish in Edmonton, Our Lady of uh, Mercy Catholic Church in Kohane, Alberta, the Co-Cathedral St. Patrick in Yellowknife, Northwest Territories, the Polish Roman Catholic Church in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, the St. John's Anglican Church in St. John's, Ontario, Uh, Jonesfield Baptist Church in St. John's, Ontario, St. Kateri Tikawitha, I can't pronounce the name of the Indigenous nation. This is from it. This one's in Nova Scotia. A Samson United Church in Alberta. Angus Bonner Memorial Church in Manitoba. St. George Coptic Orthodox Church in Surrey, B.C. Central Heights Church in Abbotsford, B.C. Little Flower Mission Church in Fox Lake, Alberta. You get the picture. 83 churches so far. And you'll remember that when these churches started burning down, when almost entirely... White social justice activists started targeting churches by chucking red paint on them, by setting them on fire, in many cases burning them to the ground, in many cases burning down churches that were on indigenous land and attended by indigenous people. The response of academics was largely to justify what was going on. You had Gerard Butts, the buddy of Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, saying he could totally understand why people were burning these churches down these churches on indigenous land, you had a lot of equivocation and an enormous amount of either hesitation or outright resistance to condemning the widespread destructions, of, of destruction of Christian churches across the country. Why? Because this was part of decolonization. Why? Because these churches were a settler religion, and many of them were constructed by or attended by people they would call settlers. And I'm not trying to make this sort of clumsy analogy uh, between what Hamas did in Israel and what uh, white progressive activists did here in Canada in burning down churches. What I am highlighting is that there is no form of violence that these academics are not willing to defend. And that when they use the terminology that has seeped almost entirely through our federal government and completely dominates the prevailing view in in academia, that these are just revolutionary terms that they use to justify any form of revolutionary violence. And when we force them to look at photographs, at video footage of abductions and rape and the slaughter, the butchering of civilians, and they're still willing to say, this is what decolonization looks like. When somebody says, I can't believe civilians got killed, and a professor at Yale University, this is one of America's most prestigious most prestigious institutions, comes out and says, settlers aren't civilians. What they've done is they've unpersoned you. What they've done is they've claimed that you are not a human being. What they mean is that if you were a settler, decolonization can happen to you. And what does that look like? Burned churches, destroyed families, that burning people alive in their homes, which by the way happened many times in Israel during the Hamas incursion. So ask yourself this let's say one of these churches was burned down with people inside it. Let's say they were white people, maybe settlers. What are the chances you think that you wouldn't have prestigious academics making a ton of money? From the University of Toronto, from McMaster University, from Wilfrid Laurier University, coming out to defend that, to try and contextualize the murder by explaining they're not civilians, they're settlers. This is what decolonization looks like. That's a sign, by the way, at a lot of these uh, pro-Hamas protests, is this is what decolonization looks like, or another popular sign is decolonization is not a metaphor. So I'm not, again, I'm not not picking. I'm, I'm not trying to find the most egregious examples uh, from anonymous morons in my Twitter mentions and then trying to smear an entire movement. I'm actually highlighting what these people believe. Black Lives Matter Chicago uh, released, a, uh, released a sort of meme on social media saying, like, long live the Palestinian resistance. And you know what the picture was on the podcast? It was a Palestinian on a hang glider. You know what that's a reference to? The Hamas terrorists who used hang gliders to land near the music festival, after which they machine gunned 250 people to death and then raped the survivors, kidnapping many others. This is Black Lives Matter Chicago. Black Lives Matter, again, dominated Western discourse on race for almost a year. Our prime minister, who was a massive proponent of, of lockdowns and social distancing and all the rest, broke his own protocols to go out in Parliament Hill and bend a knee to these activists. And what do these activists believe? We now know what they believe. The science were already there. We knew that they were an organization run by Marxists. We knew that on their own manifesto, on their own website, they called for the destruction of the nuclear family. Now we know they'll actually justify the destruction of actual families, um, that they will celebrate the massacre of innocent people at a peace festival, and the irony of the fact that many of those at this peace music festival uh, probably supported a lot of the aims of the Palestinians should not be lost on us, that we are facing real barbarism, and that in our response, Canada's progressive activists, America's LGBT activists, are performing the role of a useful idiot, in that they will justify anything that is done in the name of decolonization and against settler populations. And so one of the things we should be taking away from what just happened is we should recognize that the terminology that is being used is fundamentally insidious. This does not mean that every person who uses these terms is fundamentally insidious, but what it means is that we must completely reject this language, this Marxist language, now that we know what they mean when they say it. Because it really shouldn't surprise us, actually, that 83 churches in Canada can be attacked by arsonists. And you don't hear much. And imagine any other scenario. Uh, if it was 83 mosques, we would hear a lot. Why? Well, because they, in, in the sort of Marxist oppression hierarchy, Muslims are victims, settlers are not. So you can burn down a church, but you can't burn down a mosque. Uh, imagine imagine just if 83 houses of worship of any other religion were burned down we would actually have a national emergency. The the officials from all parties would be meeting. Why did that not happen when 83 churches were attacked? Because they're settler churches. Christianity is a settler religion. And so the call is coming from inside the house. The, the termites have dined long and well. And now we are in a situation where many of the most prominent academics at Canada's most prestigious universities and the most prestigious American universities uh, are willing to justify the most horrifying violence in the name of decolonization and settlers. I, for one, will not be accepting the term settler ever again. I will be rejecting all the language that is being used here because we know what they mean and we can't unsee what we saw. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Uh, I hope you found some of this helpful. Happy to receive uh, your comments and your feedback on anything I've said. Uh, if you'd like to subscribe to this show uh, or go back and listen to past shows, we'll have some interviews again coming up on, on a variety of other social issues. Please head over to uh, com, click on the podcast tab, and we do hope uh, that we'll see you all. Thanks so much for listening.